Welcome to The Noncast, an ongoing conversation around the topics of spirituality and culture for those who find themselves wondering and wandering on the fringe of religion. I'm Nathan Roberts. And I'm Stephen Drager. We're hoping to create a safe space for the rest of us to be honest. So this is for anyone, regardless of their faith background or life circumstance or current musings in regards to life and faith matters. And it's for all the noms out there. So the folks who no longer identify with any one stream of Christianity or may be questioning their commitment to a faith tradition altogether. For those deconstructing and reconstructing and for those who are finally being honest about their questions and feelings, we welcome you. Okay, so you have a beer and I have the last of my redemption rye whiskey as yes. we get ready to record. And um, what are you drinking again? I am drinking Stone Scorpion Bowl, which is That's the same stuff. the same beer that you spilled on my couch I a year did. ago. <laughs> yes, I did. It's, which I... Is it... it did I leave a, a little piece of myself there with you? Is you there did. a stain? No, there's not a stain. Oh, man. I wish there was, just so that every time you looked at it, you'd think of me. No, there is a stain from the other thing that we did. <laughs> oh, good Lord. That's th- This is coming out on the air. What? The wine uh, night, when we had wine. Oh, right, right. Oh, that one. <laughs> Can we edit that out? <laughs> nope, it all belongs. Oh, man. <laughs> um, okay, I'm nervous about this podcast, and... The reason why is because while I've listened to a lot of conversations of people being honest and um, sharing about their process of deconstruction and reconstruction, um, trying to figure out what Christianity means to them and all of that, I haven't heard conversations so much where people are in the middle of, of what feels like a really disorienting time or season talk about that time or season while it's happening, like real time talk. Hmm. And, and I've always found myself, I mean, the stuff I listen to, I love, but, um, I've always found myself wishing to get to like wanting to listen into those conversations, the conversations that are happening before and after the recording. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and, and I always thought to you when, when thinking about podcasting, I always thought that that would be a really, uh, a really neat thing to capture. And one of the podcasts that's been influential for me is Vox with Mike Erie. And one of the things that he'll often say is the church is supposed to be the safest place to talk about anything. And, uh, that's, and I fully believe that. And that's, that's why I want to have conversations like these as they're happening in real time and let other people listen in to the processing as it's happening. I think, I think the tendency is that when you or I record or when I'm listening to podcasts, it sounds like they've already got their thoughts figured out whether or not they do, but it sounds so polished and there's not always the, the wrestling in the middle of, um, the conversation. And so anyway, that's what I'm hoping to capture today, but that's also why it feels risky to do it because it's not cleaned up. And it's the wishy-washy like, well, it could be this or it could be that. Um, And for our audience who's listening, what we're going to be talking about today is uh, 
at least my reflections on Easter. We're recording this two days after Easter 2020. And this was a very different Easter for the entire world because of COVID-19. So churches, churches took to the internet and that's where services were held. Um, I think some did like drive-ins, went to drive-in theaters and did something like that. Um, But yeah, totally, totally different. And for me, this is the first Easter in, man, like seven or eight years that I haven't worked in some sort of church or ministry um, during the Easter season. And, and that also is disorienting for me because, um, when you're working in the church. So my experience personally was that while working in the church, getting ready for Easter, you don't always get to enjoy the season. You don't always get to feel that present to it. At least I didn't, um, because there's so much work that goes into trying to put on an Easter production. Yeah. And, and so this year, um, with it being COVID-19, uh, any kind of church attendance or participation happening digitally online via Facebook or Instagram. Um, I just felt, I just felt disconnected from Easter as it was. So not only was I not working in the church, which has its own drawbacks to being fully present, but I also, um, uh, you know, it's during the middle of the coronavirus and uh, I, I feel I would say that I've been going through deconstruction for um, more than five years. Um, but this year in particular, I feel like it's just in this. Oh, man, like a, a deeper state of deconstruction. Um, it feels more disorienting than normal. And um, my experience yesterday and today and actually even on Easter Sunday, my experience was that I, I, I've actually felt a bit depressed. I have felt um, like a pit in my stomach when I think about Easter. And a, a big thing of it for me is that I'm, I'm trying to understand, or I'm trying to figure out what do I believe about Easter, basically. Um, and what I mean by that is it's really, I've grown up, I grew up in an evangelical setting. And so I have the evangelical Easter message really ingrained in my head. Um, but for, for quite some time now, I haven't considered myself evangelical. And, um, and as I've picked up on little bits and pieces of what the, what the cross, what the resurrection could also mean. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying also, because I don't want to say that there's no kind of, uh, that there's nothing good in the evangelical message. I'm trying not to say that I'm trying, basically I'm trying to say, no, I think that there's some good there. Um, I don't know exactly where it fits, but I'm also learning about things like liberation theology um, I'm learning about how there were a lot of people who were, had claimed to have had, uh, you know, death and resurrection experiences in the first century that uh, Jesus is, was not unique except for that. The, the fact that it created a huge movement, of course, um, that the, there's still followers of him today. I'm just trying to figure out like, how do all these pieces fit together? And the reason why I think I felt a little, depressed is because it's, it would be so easy for me to just believe what I've always believed 
to believe the evangelical message of Easter. And that's probably going to need some defining, at least what my experience of it has been. Um, and, and I, and so I, I found myself thinking like, but I don't want to just believe it because it's easy. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah. So when I say the evangelical Eastern message, what I mean is what the gospel to me, it feels has been reduced to, which is you're a sinner. And so, um, because you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell, but Jesus died for you to forgive you of your sins and make a way for you to get to God. And if you believe in him, then you'll have this, this gift, this eternal life. You'll get to go to heaven. And that message, um, I, I feel like there's more to it. I feel like that's too limiting. Um, I feel like there's, as I learn, I feel like there's new, uh, not new, these, these interpretations have been around for a long time, but I'm learning them as if they're new for the first time. But there's other ways of viewing the Easter story beyond that beyond it being like fire insurance. It's not <laughs> just a get out of hell free card thing. So that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to explore. Um, so I guess I want to wonder out loud um, and process out loud. Yeah. So on Easter, um, my wife and my son and I were um, doing our thing, right? we First of all, this was the first time in my entire life that I didn't attend a church on Easter. Mm-hmm. So almost 30 years of never, never missing an Easter. <laughs> um, I didn't, you know, I wasn't out of church. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I totally resonate with the whole, like for people working in the church, um, it's like the most stressful time of the year, which is ironic to think that, you know, the, the religious holiday, you know, that is basically like the foundation of our entire (laughs) religion is supposed to be about receiving life. Mm -hmm. And from probably every church worker, uh, the experience during that season is the opposite. You know, there's a lot of, you know, toil and, and work and like wearing yourself down to the bone. Um, and I'm, ca- probably, I'm kind of, probably especially this year too, because yeah. everything was new and different. Yeah. So I felt that in the sense that I, um, for the past month have had to, you know, shift my entire work week to, I'm now doing everything digitally, which I love. Uh, I, I love being able to just, you know, get a small band together, record three songs instead of having to do five. Um, and we decided that we weren't going to do any extra production. Like we weren't going to tweak our online service for Easter. We were going to do the same format that we've been doing, you know, which is less worship, shorter messages, nice, like short and sweet kind of stuff. Yeah. And that was like the biggest breath of relief for me was to not have to worry about it. Mm. And so I actually like felt like I felt a lot of of peace about not having to you know wear myself down to the bone for Easter. Now I still did, but it was for you know just my normal work week stuff, but it didn't yeah. feel like I was working towards Easter and then I could take a breath afterwards. Um yeah, yeah. And my wife like her and I actually have kind of joked that Easter's probably our least favorite holiday now because we 
she doesn't get to see me that day. And by the time she does, I'm exhausted because I've been going, you know, like just going hard for 10 hours straight, um, you know, and for like three months straight. Um, but in a weird way, like, I don't think that I've ever felt like a deep connection to Easter as a holiday. I don't think that I've ever felt like a real deep connection to the idea of the resurrection. Mm. And maybe it's because of kind of what you said, like it feels more of like a, you know, fireproof insurance kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's the, yeah, the, the, the narrative has been, at least in, in my experience, you know, you deserve death, you deserve to die, you deserve all these things. Um, but Jesus came and, and died for your sins. And, and so on Easter we're talking and my son was like, Oh, um, I, or I think my wife asked him like, Oh, do you remember what Easter's about? And he was like, Oh, it's when Jesus, um, Jesus died for us. And then he came back to life and we're like, yeah. And, and then I had just this like cringe inside of me that was like, am I teaching my kid that somebody had had to die? Yeah. You know, because I don't believe that. I don't think Jesus had to die. You know, we're not going to get into the theology of, you know, what I think the, how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. But I think, you know, it was like this cringeworthy moment. I'm like, oh, that's like when you simplify it, that's what the message is. Right. And right. I just like, oh, I'm not on, I'm not on board with that. Yeah. My wife had asked me the same thing. She said, she said, if we had a five-year-old son or child, um, how would you explain Easter to them? And I found myself talking in circles because I kept trying to, trying to put up like the, the qualifiers for it. Like, well, I would want them to understand this about God. And then I'd want them to, you know, I'd, I'd think they would get this. And then she was like, but there'd be five. Like, what would you, <laughs> they can't comprehend all that stuff. Like, what would you tell yeah. them about Easter? Um, cause what we did is we woke up and it was great. I mean, we slept in on Sunday and we turned on, um, the church service for the church we've been going to out here, uh, in Arkansas. And we watched, um, we watched that. We definitely slept past its, its premiere time. And so we, uh, only saw part of it. And then we turned on another church service and it was a church service from where, um, one of the one of the larger churches where uh, we used to live in California. And I found myself so torn because what I was watching was um, essentially music videos of this worship team. Hmm. And what I mean by that is like, it was, it was perfect. It sounded amazing. I was like, wow, they must've pre-recorded this and then, you know, sent it out someplace to get it mixed and mastered because it, it sounded so freaking good. And and I found myself wondering, what would I have done if I was still working in the church this Easter? Would I have done like that super high quality production? Would I have killed myself over uh, hours and hours worth of editing and trying to make it sound just perfect and getting everything to match up? And mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm like trying to filter that. And meanwhile, my wife seems to really be enjoying it, which is fantastic. I, I'm so happy that she did. But um. I, I felt it felt so fake to me. 
it felt like I was just, like I said, just watching a music video, like watching something that was being produced. And I, and I really struggled to connect personally with, um, with any kind of actual worship that was happening. I found myself, honestly, here's the confession. I just found myself judging those people the entire time about like, there's no way this is authentic. <laughs> like how many times did they do this song? They probably recorded it like three or four times to get all those camera shots. And I'm like, yeah, because the camera's floating in front of the keyboard is there, but then you don't see the, you know, the cameraman in the next one. And some like that they had, you know, and I'm thinking through all of that stuff, the production lens of things. And it's taking me into a space, a headspace where I'm not able to even engage with my heart at all. Um, and my wife was like, you seem uncomfortable. She literally was like, you seem uncomfortable. And I was like, I, I think I feel uncomfortable. I think that's why you're, you're sensing that. I don't know totally how to, how to think or feel about this. I'm trying to figure that out right now. Um, and they're not the only church. I mean, we, we took a glimpse at a couple of other churches and same thing, but I'm like, does the production inherently make it non-worshipful? Of course not. Like you can still worship, but I just wonder to what degree production is justified, uh, under the, the banner of, um, worship and yet it's not actually worship that's occurring. It's just production. It's just film recording, you know? Um, so that was part of it for me. And then we get into this discussion about how would you explain Easter to our, our five-year-old child? And, uh, and that was, um, that was just before, um, I, Rob Bell did a, uh, like a, a resurrection sermon at, um, uh, t- like middle of the 10 morning. So yeah, I missed it. I wanted to watch it and it was I missed, great. I missed it. Was it was great. And so I, that, that actually, I felt super connected to, and it's not because he was saying, something antithetical to the evangelical message. He was talking about resurrection, but he was expounding upon it. He was giving it greater depth for me. He was, he was emphasizing that, uh, he was emphasizing that Jesus, when, when Jesus shows up after the resurrection, um, one of the first things he says is Shalom, like peace be with you. And Mm -hmm. then look at the scars and the scars I think have been interpreted for, for, you know, a couple millennia now to be like the evidence of his actual physical death and resurrection. And, um, where Rob was taking it was emphasizing like Friday really happened. Um, and not rushing past the pain of Friday, uh, taking, taking the pain of Friday with you into Sunday. And, uh, yeah. And so there were so many great things that stood out to me while I was listening to it. But again, that's, that's where I felt the most connected and, and, Meanwhile, you know, we're here in little, because uh, of the other church service that we had caught glimpses of, um, I'm hearing what's just that very, what to me feels like a very watered down version of the story. And, um, and like you had said earlier, you don't believe that Jesus had to die. And that's, that's more of my perspective now where I've been bending towards for, um, for quite a while now. I'm like, yeah, Jesus wasn't killed because he had to die for his sins. Like Jesus was killed because he was a prophet and he spoke out against the power of his day. And, uh, and as a, as a result of speaking out against power, like you speak too much truth to power and you end up dead, you end up crucified. Um, Jesus was, was a revolutionary in that sense, but 
but do I still believe, and this is where I was saying earlier, it'd be really easy to believe the message that I grew up believing. Do I still believe that God needs blood in order to be satisfied? Right. And, and I sat and I've been sitting with the tension of that, I would say for the last three days of like, yeah, I don't agree with that anymore. And then, and then what's so sad about that though, is that because I don't agree with that, I feel so cut off from, I mean, what feels like a large portion of the church. And that actually, I think might be the thing that's making me sad. That's making me feel depressed is that there's a sense in which I'm like, Oh, I, I don't feel like I belong anymore. Um, and that's not what I believe Christianity is supposed to be. Like, it's not just supposed to be a country club of right thinking. Uh, I, in one of one of the podcasts I was listening to this week, I, I heard somebody give the definition of heresy being not wrong teaching, but like getting stuck on just one thing and not considering the rest of the story. And um, what was being suggested is that the evangelical message can be heretical because it doesn't take into account other aspects of what the gospel is actually there for. And so... Yeah, I, I think that's what it is for me. It's that sense of like not not feeling like I belong to something anymore, where I always have felt a deep, deep sense of belonging. And I'm not saying that because I've left or walked away. I'm saying that because I'm like, oh, I don't feel as welcomed. Like having these thoughts automatically leaves me feeling ostracized. Um, tr- changing the way in which I see the crucifixion story all of a sudden now it leaves me feeling like an apostate. And I, and I just, I'm like, that's, that can't be right. That can't be the way the church is supposed to feel or function or operate. Um, that can't be the vision for, for, uh, for God and, and his people. Um, is that, is that making sense that yeah, like the heartache I mean, portion of that, the, well, even just the idea that like, you know, that that brings up the issue of not being able to question things in church and, and not just the small things, right? Not just the, like the, you know, is it okay to get divorced or, I mean, I I mean, small. (laughs) You drop a hammer there. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, I mean, small in the grand scheme in comparison to did Jesus really rise from the dead? And is that really important? And did he did he die and rise for the reasons we think? Like those are the 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 questions that are like, you know, watch out because you know that's you're attacking the the lifeblood of of the, the church. System. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. Yeah. And I. So you you talked about how Rob Bell said something about like what about Friday? And so last year we did like a whole night of lament. Thing yep. where we're like hey we're not going to rush past this we're going to sit and we're going to be intentionally uh you know like mourning and intentionally like invite the dissonance and and the tension and we're, we're not going to let it pass by quickly um and then this year what i did was um i in like for my easter message to all my high school students um so last year we d- we talked like let's slow down let's talk about Friday, and this year I did a let's slow down and let's talk about Saturday, hmm. because nobody ever talks about Saturday, 
it's you know even even the Christians that are willing to you know take up the the issue of Good Friday um, still kind of jump straight to the resurrection the next time they meet and and for me I was like I found myself this year thinking about well, what about Saturday mm-hmm. you know because if we were to take a time machine back you know we've got 12 really more but 12 disciples who have left their family trade left you know everything that they've known and they're traveling living with learning from this teacher who they're trying to be more like and they're starting to realize that he's more than who he than others say he is you know and and there's a point where most of them have now put their entire stock in this guy that right they're invested sure and friday hits and they're probably like oh shit he's dead and then saturday yeah. is like wait a minute we forget that somebody had to take his bloody body off the cross mm. you know and and we're not real quick we're, we're not debating you know right now if jesus is god or not we're, we're Jesus is a, you know, historical figure, verifiable. Um, and so these people, right, that um, are in our canon, um, you know, they had to, somebody had to take that body down. And then somebody had to wrap that body up and put it in a grave. And how many of those disciples and how many of those followers and how many of those close friends um went what's next oh yeah you know and even to go well i i guess i have to go back and you know be a farmer again or i guess i have to go back and start fishing again for my family and um and there's this like tension that then and i think this is where the church needs to learn the like the biggest lesson the biggest learning opportunity is in, again, the thing that we don't really talk about, it's in two of the Gospels, Luke and John, because um, Matthew and Mark both end with Jesus ascending to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Gospels of Luke and John, right, so these two alternative narratives, um, give us this these stories about Jesus spending time with the disciples after he's resurrected. Mm-hmm. And he knows that they have had their doubts and he knows that they are kind of ready to go back to the, what they were used to. Um, and then even with Peter who was like, Oh, when, when push came to shove, Peter was like, no, I don't know that guy because he doesn't want to, you know, die. He doesn't want to get beat up. And so he understandably freaks out and goes, no, no, I have no idea who that guy is. I'm I'm, I'm not his disciple, you know? And Jesus response to each one of these people who are, doubting and wondering and sitting with the what's next and maybe we were wrong uh the the answer is not to shame them Mm. it's to go hey don't be so ready to quit on this thing go go feed my sheep Mm. go take care of like the people that we've been serving continue on kind of thing and i think oftentimes the church's response to people who start to wonder what's next or start to doubt what they believe or are ready to kind of throw the talon um, is to cast shame and um, you know, and it's, 
Yeah. And uh, and there's these nasty words like apostate and heretic that get used. Yeah. And I think that those speak to that shame. And, and yet what you're saying, I'm like, yeah, but if we were, if everyone were actually honest, honest with themselves, honest with the people around them and honest with God, can we not all identify with those thoughts? Yeah. Can we not all identify with those feelings, those wonderings? Um, and I like unequivocally, I, I, I think that the answer would be yes for 100% of the people in the church that at some point in time, if we're honest, we've, we've entered into those thoughts. And so, you know, me, thank you first off for sharing what you just shared, because I feel so, I feel so loved hearing that, um, that, that pit that I described in my stomach over the last couple of days, as I think of these things that for me in this moment feels like, uh, like warmth in my heart instead, like warmth in my chest, that sense of, for me and what I'm, what I'm equating that to is like, that's right. I still belong. I'm still loved. Um, and, and it doesn't matter the kind of thoughts and the kind of wonderings and the, yeah, like, no, there still is that invitation from Jesus. Like no, stay in the game. What you, so what you have those thoughts. Okay. I'll keep going. Let's come on. You know, and like whatever, whatever, whatever you understand the truth to be right now, I still want you. Uh, I, I still came to to show you that the kingdom is way bigger than you could ever perceive it to be. Um, I was on track saying something else, but that's, you know, that maybe that's not as important as me just reflecting on that. So thank you. I want, I, I kind of want to hear more about how you felt because I, it, this year was disorienting for me as well. in in the sense that I felt very disconnected from what's supposed to be a celebration. Yeah, yeah. And I found myself this year just kind of like angry and frustrated. And I was like, dude, if I see one more, he is risen, (laughs) 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 you know? And it's like, and, and part of me is because it's like, Oh, this is like the, it's a token. Like people are just, it's what you do. And, and maybe that's just is my personality and not wanting to jump on bandwagons and not wanting sure. to, you know, do something because it's what you're expected to do or it's, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. like the, the amount of, even on social media, the amount of like Easter posts that were like, just, you know, little like artistic, I mean, stuff that people are obviously getting off of Pinterest kind of thing, you know? Um, and then posting, I'm like, what, what the hell does that, do what purpose does that serve um you know and and it's weird it's weird to say you know he is risen about this this dude that lived 2000 years ago that i've never physically met and that i only get like glimpses of the story um you know and then even uh, just on top especially on top of the whole, you know, like, well, what does that mean? Is it because, you know, God's wrath had to be satisfied? You know, it's like, there's all those kind of things. And yeah, yeah, in a weird way, I just kind of, I found myself angry this year at, Mm -hmm. at the whole idea of like celebrating this thing. And I'm all for, I think the themes, like I think that Easter at it, at the very least, 
reminds us that we are pursuing and chasing after life and restoration and redemption. And I can totally be on board with those things. Um, and I believe that God is for those things. I think God, like, like those are things when we experience love, when we experience, you know, restoration and redemption, those are us encountering the divine, but to be celebrating this object, you know, for me, it just, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it's just because it feels reduced. Yeah. I mean, I mean, as you're describing it, I'm like, yeah, a lot of the times those, those scriptures did again, I, I used the term watered down earlier, like listening to watered down sermons on Easter um, a lot of it feels watered down to me. A lot of it feels very trite. A lot of it feels disconnected from uh, pragmatism, I want to say. And what yeah. I mean by that is like, so so you go out one day and you start, you know, yeah, quoting these Bible verses. What does that mean though? Like, what? It, how is this good news? Yeah. And this gets into a whole other conversation, honestly, about like, what is the gospel? And I, I earlier I gave what I understood to be the evangelical message of the gospel, which was you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell. Christ died for you, uh, so that you didn't have to basically. And, and like, that's an, that's a dissatisfactory understanding of the gospel to me. And hopefully, hopefully for anybody who begins to, to, to peer behind the curtain and see that there's so much more politically to the term gospel as it's used in the first century. Yeah. Because what's at stake here is, uh, or, or what's, what's oftentimes missed is, is the implication that this has politically in the sense of what the good news was to the people in the first century was that Caesar was Lord. Not that Jesus was Lord, that Caesar was Lord, that Caesar had just entered into a new land that he had conquered that land and that he was now the new King or God, you could even say of that new territory. And um, rightfully so it, when considering the cultural understanding and like how things work, how the world works, it is rightfully so that Caesar would be Lord. Yeah. Nobody would question it. But then you have these people that follow Jesus beginning to hijack that language and, and they, they weaponize it in a uh, non-militant, but they weaponize it to be this, um, this this direct offense to empire, right? Like it now becomes something that they're using to say, no, it's not Caesar that's the Lord, it's Jesus that's Lord. Yes, the one who the Romans crucified on the cross. Yeah, that guy, that guy is actually is actually the Lord. And and I mean like when we say when people say is Jesus Lord, I have no idea what they mean by that if they're not if they're not explaining it through a first century context of uh um an emperor who's conquering land and territories, you know, like when I feel like it's been bastardized in some ways to just be this, again, a watered down, like, is he king of your heart? And I'm like, no, man, it is so much more than that. This has, this has like deeply transformative implications for society as a whole that, um, and especially, I know I feel, I feel a little all over the place right now, but I'm thinking, especially it was transformative for, um, for first century Rome and also first century Israel, who is now beginning to see that the kingdom of heaven is not just for them as Jewish individuals, but it's now for everybody. It's for the entire world. And Rome is included in that. And that that's part of the good news is that the kingdom is not one where God comes in and destroys 
God's enemies and and brutalizes them and murders them. Uh, rather, this God is one who is willing to die in the place of his enemies and um, makes the kingdom accessible to all. You know, so like that to me, that that that's good news. That's gospel stuff right there. Um, again, yeah. that feels like maybe a, another a longer and a bigger conversation for a different podcast, but that's why. Yeah. That's why even like taking the little Bible verses and putting them on Facebook feeds feels just watered down and trite to me. Cause I'm like, man, that's doesn't do the story justice at all. Um, so your anger, I get that. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it brings justice to the power of the story, what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and I think what most people mean, what most people mean when they say Jesus is Lord, <laughs> inaccurately, they mean Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I wish wouldn't have been done in the whole editing process that happened with the Bible, right, over the last 2,000 years and, and longer... Yeah. Um, is the replacement of, so it, in the Old Testament, the name given to God, the, the redeemer of Israel, the one who rescues Israel from slavery and then promises that they would be um, a blessed nation, his uh, name that is given is Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, but that became so holy of a name that it was translated later on to Lord in the Old Testament. So anytime that you see in the Old Testament, um, the Lord, it's saying, it's basically talking about Yahweh. But then you get to the New and, Testament. And specifically, just for the reader, if they're or the listener, if they're reading in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you'll see the Lord capitalized. Yes. And that is the, the, the replacement of the word Yahweh. Yes. Um, but then we get to the New Testament, and we get the Lord, which is the first letter is capitalized, not the entire word. Um, but it's the same word and there, I think readers don't realize that they mean two very different things because when people say Caesar is Lord, they, I mean, yes, they're ascribing divinity to Caesar, but that was just kind of like, that was like knowing one and one is two. That that was like, it, it, it didn't matter in the sense that like, you don't have to explain that because it was just known. Um, yeah. So Caesar is Lord meant something very different. Um, so when people are saying Jesus is Lord, they're not saying Jesus is God. They're saying what basically what you said. Um, but I think people today kind of mix this up where now they're going, Mm -hmm. Jesus is Lord. And they don't have any idea what they mean by that, you Mm -hmm. know, and what, even what first century, um, Christians would have, meant by that either or son of god son of god was political language that the romans used to describe their emperors because their emperors were believed to have been divine yeah so if you call somebody a son of god you were saying that they are royalty and that they are at the same status as the emperor Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that's i think that's partly why it's like i i listen to these sound bites from different sermons on Easter. And I'm like, God, that's just, no, it just doesn't, 
doesn't get to the heart of the message. There's so much more that's happening. You're just scraping the surface. And maybe that's because you're hoping or thinking that there's people who have literally never heard anything about this Jesus guy before, like that they're tuning in. Uh, And so maybe you're giving a very elementary version of it, but I don't know. Why? Can adults not handle a little bit of history (laughs) at the same time um, (laughs) that they're getting some theology? I would hope so. The the other one that that pisses me off is, and I'm not entirely sure why, is um, our God's not dead, Mm. which is, you know, it's, it's a, it's taken straight from scripture, right? He's not dead. He is risen. Um, I don't know, but when we use it now, it just, it feels inauthentic and it feels like we, there's no experience to couple that statement with, to say that Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. Like, you know, I wonder if that got popularized with the I don't I don't even know who the philosopher was. The philosopher though who said um God is dead. You might know. Oh I feel like that's um, within the last hundred years. Yeah. I'm blanking on the name. It's an obvious one, and I'm just not. Oh well. Somebody. <laughs> some some smart philosopher, uh famous philosopher throughout history. Um yeah, again, I think last 100, 150 years had said God is dead. Um, I feel like there was even a response to that in the Holocaust. I know we had mentioned the Holocaust in our last episode as well. but um, And so I wonder if to some degree what's what, what we're hearing when people are posting stuff like that is residual of response to um, modern philosophy. So just learned behavior. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I mean, there, and I'm maybe it, maybe this is way too trite. I don't know, but there was a movie a few years ago that came out that was apologetic. No, we're not going to talk about that movie called "God's Not Dead." <sighs> and so maybe, maybe it's even that, like the apologetics movement um, over the last several decades, too, that that people are uh, fueled by, you know that language what so you're I, have describing, a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts about that we can talk about it another point okay <laughs> you're describing though something that i had also identified over the last couple of days of i've as i've been musing which is what feels like a hostility within mm. within christendom but one against another and um I I feel a bit emotional even going there emotional in the in a sad sense where I feel like we've lost the plot so deeply that now we weaponize the bible against one another yeah we weaponize philosophy um Quote like unquote, I said earlier right thinking yeah like I said earlier or a her- her- heresy or heretic and apostate. Those are now like these, not now as in it's, it's novel, but those are weaponized to be uh, words that we use to shame people 
to ostracize. And I don't know. I'm left wondering if Jesus, if Jesus came today to the church and had a new word for us, I wonder, I wonder how much of that message would be like, can you please cease your hostility towards one another? Because even as we think through the things that we're saying and what we're recording, we're trying to give rise to ho- hopefully the voice of those who haven't had voices before. Um, and, and, and I know though that our words and our message that that can be received as hostility as well. And I'm not even going to deny that that's not necessarily true. I think there are times where what we have to say here in this space will be hostile um, because we'll, we'll be responding to some offense that maybe warrants a hostile response. But, but at the same time, again, this is me in the middle of wondering what does this all look like? How do we all, you know, you know what, what does it look like to be a Jesus follower? I'm like, man, can't, can't we, can't we all create more room for each other? Um, do we have to respond to one another with such hostility? Is it, is it possible for us all to move towards love for one another, towards one another, um, to create more space, to be more gracious, to yeah, acceptance, inclusivity, yeah, to not yeah. freak out the second somebody says something that you disagree with. Yeah. Oh, even like, I think one of my issues too, um, and I recently had, um, one of my high school students called me, um, and, and said, you know, Hey, I've been having a lot of these thoughts, you know, and, um, you know, another, she, she was, she attends our youth group, but she also attends another group. And she was saying, you know, we talked about heaven and I felt like I didn't belong because everybody Mm. was like on the same page. And I was like, I'm not convinced that heaven's real. Mm. And, you know, um, and of course I let her know that that's normal. (laughs) That's (laughs) there's probably every healthy Christian has a, a healthy balance of Christian beliefs and agnostic beliefs. Um, but I, you're probably gonna have to say more on that. Oh, we yeah, that's a whole episode, man. That's a <laughs> give us just a give us a taste test though. Let, taste dip your test. toe into it. Um, it's not even a okay. So it's kind of a misnomer because I think a a a true healthy Christian is somebody who embodies doubt and embodies um, uncertainty in and and holds it in tension with their confidence um because it's honest yeah because it's honest and and because doubt and uncertainty help move us forward Mm, you know uh, the worst kinds of christians are the kinds of christians that never change what they believe you know and we could talk about how the entire bible is evidence of humanity's progression forward yep Yep. You know, and, and on the part of God pulling them forward. Um, yeah, but yeah, so it, to say that is kind of a misnomer because a healthy balance of, you know, Christian beliefs and agnostic beliefs should, is really Christian. <laughs> um, 
I, I, in my opinion, yeah. So more on that later. There's your little taste test for another time. Um, yeah, it's very appetizing. I appreciate that. So this, so this girl in your youth group telling you, "Don't know, I totally buy the heaven thing." You're like, "Yep, that's normal." Yeah. What were we talking about before this? Because I, I totally had a my hostility. Yeah. Okay. So she w- and she was talking about how one of her contentions with Christianity, because she's like, I don't know if, you know, I've, she's grown up in the church, but she's like, I'm not sure now what I believe. And she's, and then I said, okay, well, tell me what's bothering you. And one of the things that she said was, I don't feel like what people say about what they believe matches how they're living. And that mm. pisses me off. And I was like, yeah. And so one of the things I think I, <laughs> that I told her, which I would, I think was wise was, that's normal and that's okay. And you're right. There is a system that's messed up, but don't be too quick to point the finger because there are probably people who are looking at you and thinking the exact same thing, you know, like, because you're, you're obviously drawing lines at what you think is right and what you think is not. Um, Mm. and I know, and I know the, the students, so I, I know. Yeah. You have the relationship to where you'd be able to say that. Yeah. There was, there was bits of it that were a little hypocritical. Um, and so, um, but I just, I, it's made me think too, if Easter is about celebrating the resurrection, which is about celebrating, you know, life over death, um, you know, and restoration over defeat, um, you know, then, then why have people in the church, my wife and I included, you know, suffered the, the end of relationships and friendships in even in our church communities um, where other people are unwilling to apologize or unwilling to work to restore the relationships. Like, you know, I see that all the time where like people are no longer friends with other people or, and it's like, you're celebrating Easter, but are you really celebrating life over death Mm -hmm. and, and resurrection and, you know, restoration and redemption and forgiveness. And like, those are all the things that are encompassed in this holiday that we are celebrating. But, but where are you entering into it? Where are you embodying the resurrection? And it can be really easy to just, you know, say he is risen on a Facebook post or an Instagram post and, you know, post a picture of your family and their Sunday best. I was in my fucking pajamas, dude all day <laughs> I, we went to the park across the street and I still didn't change. And I was like, cause I don't have to. <laughs> and well, and I'm angry, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think there is so much. I think I feel like I'm, I feel for and understand, uh, the atheist the most this weekend, I think, Mm. you know, as our entire community, you know, both locally and globally was celebrating this thing. I think for the first time I went, I'm, I, I am, I sympathize with the atheist. I, I, I understand Mm. that this is nonsense and I understand that this is, in a lot of ways kind of stupid and you know god you saying that makes me think like 
I, I have had the thought so many times that I've, I remember sitting in seminary classes, okay? Sitting in seminary, thinking to myself, is somebody at some point going to pull me aside and say, hey, Nathan, all of this is fake, and we all know that, but we continue to tell the story because it brings us hope. It brings us peace. It brings us, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it brings. I remember literally thinking that and you saying that right now, I'm like, yeah, sometimes what Christianity feels like to me is a disingenuine um, surface level let's all be happy expression of life um, as opposed to like, you know, entering into the stuff that's hard, the pain of life, the, instead of, instead of embracing Friday, right? Yeah. Um, like that death happened, that death happens. Uh, the triteness that can so easily come up in the midst of, you name the circumstance of let's just all look to the light in this moment and focus on the positive. I'm like, man, is that, yeah. Is that all that these Bible verses are really doing is scraping the surface and distracting us and making us feel good about something for a moment so that we don't actually have to look beyond the surface into the pain. Um, Oh dude. So even, yeah, so I get that. I get that. Even churches. I, I, I remember, when I did the night of limit this year, I was so vocal to our staff and stuff about, you know, we're doing this night of limit. It's going to be uncomfortable. I do not want to hear anybody say Easter is coming. Sunday is coming because that's not the point. And when you, when you point back to the resurrection, when you're talking about loss and grief, was that your cat, by the way? Yeah, dude, she's all over the place right now. <laughs> she, but she'll like do something and then look back at me like, you paying attention? <laughs> uh, and she's like clawed at the couch a few times. Oh, and like, I've, so I've had to throw pillows at her because if my, so my dog, <laughs> right? My border collie uh, puppy, who's a year old now, um, I have him upstairs so that he won't be running around making noise. Uh, but he, they are best friends. They get along, they play. Uh, but the second that she starts like clawing at the couch or something, he runs over and like bops her. It's so good. Wow. Yeah. I He's love it. Well trained. Uh, we didn't even train that. He just, I think he Dude, just picked so up on it. Funny. Yeah. He's so smart. That's hilarious. Um, I'm wow. sorry. I threw you way off. You did. Where was I? I have, I have no clue. We were talking about, uh, I want to apologize to all of our listeners right now who are just having to experience <laughs> this um, this is part of the the messiness uh, that we're talking about, right? I think true. that that's kind of where we were going. Was yeah, pain so, Friday? Yeah, uh, oh, okay. So I told last, people don't say Friday. the Easter is coming, right? right? Because coming, you right. you negate the experience. And I think the reality is, in a lot of situations and a lot of experience, there is no resurrection, mm. right? There is no. Oh, but it was all worth it. Or oh, but but look what happened. Or here is the happy ending for for a lot of people. And a lot of situations, like, I'm sorry, your son is still dead. And yeah. nothing is going to replace the hole that that left. You know, or, um, you know, you you lost this thing or, you know, this, you know, 
this thing happened and um yeah there might be a silver lining at the end but there is no resurrection there is no you know surprise happy ending for a lot of situations and i think that one of the main problems of christianity is we've taken this one instance this one resurrection story and we've you know hyper extended it by applying it to every area of our life and every category um in life and that's just not what it was meant to do so you're not allowed to be sad anymore because jesus rose from the grave yeah and if you are then you're met with well have hope or have faith or you know god will come through for you And, and there are elements of that that are true but i think we've it's the trivializing of people's experiences in the moment, though, that feels so uh, unjust, right? Like, or unjust, yeah. it feels like you're robbing them of a very real human experience. I was just talking with a friend earlier earlier today, and he was saying, like, yeah, I don't feel like I'm able to be honest with people at church. Um, I've, I have felt like I've always got to be super positive and I've always got to look to... Um, like look to God and and just make whatever situation I'm experiencing right now. I got I have to, I have to view it as good because that's what Christianity has taught me. Mm, yeah. And so, um, you know, you can't, you can't say, for example, okay, we're in the middle of COVID-19. You can't say, uh, you're complaining about your job because you actually have a job. You're not allowed to. Right. And it's like, well, nope, you got to focus on the positive. And the second that you're honest about like, man, but I really hate my job. <laughs> then all of a sudden you get shamed by the church because it's like, well, things could be so much worse. You could be yeah. out of work right now. You And it's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Can't both exist at the same time? Can't you, can't you both appreciate that you have an income and thank God for that while also simultaneously being like, and I don't know whose experience this is necessarily, but man, I just don't feel like I'm supposed to be like unpacking boxes in the grocery store at 25 years old or at 35 years old. Like that to me just doesn't feel like the thing that was going to bring me the most wholeness and fulfillment in life. And I don't think that's a uniquely Christian response. I think that's a very like modern Western human thing to do is to go, well, it could be worse, Uh, but I think it's definitely dominated (laughs) by the Christian (laughs) uh, game, you know, but Oh no, dude, totally. So my wife is a full-time med student right now. Right. And I've had to constantly remind her it's okay to bitch and complain to me about being in med school, you know, because she goes, well, no, there's, I don't have any right because, you know, you, you put your master's on hold for me to do this. And I know how much you want to be back in school. And, you know, and she's like, and I chose this and, you know, I'm doing what I love. And, and I said, yeah, except there's also a price tag that comes with the thing that you've chosen and that price tag like needs to be validated like we I, you know mm-hmm. we we need to be honest about like yeah i chose this you know and um but i should still be able to complain about the price that i'm having to pay for it because you know sometimes we know exactly what the price is going into something but sometimes we we don't you know it's true and even for me so like for those of you who are listening who don't know me personally um I had a kid out of wedlock before I met my my wife. Um, was a single dad for a couple of years. 
uh, before three years before I got married. Um, and you know, my, my wife and I will, you know, sometimes t- we'll, we'll use the language of, you know, well, you chose this, you know, but it's not like a shaming thing. It's this, uh, I chose to step up immediately and say, Hey, you know, cause the, the mother of my son, uh, and I broke up before months before she even gave birth, um, try to reconcile it. It just, it was one of those situations where, you know, it, it did not work, could, could not work. Um, and there are times where I'm just like, I hate the situation, but I chose it. Mm-hmm. And, and in some ways I knew what the price tag said. And in other ways, I had no idea I would experience the, the things I'm experiencing right now. And we need to be able, if we want to be healthy people to be able to, to both celebrate and mourn at the same mm. time, the things that we are experiencing. Yeah. Oh, that's so well said. I mean, and and that makes me think about, again, like where we started, um, Easter, I had a good day on Sunday. It's not that my day was, yeah, me too. It was nice. It wasn't a, it wasn't a (laughs) shitty day. It was a good day. It's because we didn't have to go to church. (laughs) No, no, maybe, but no, I, I'm, I'm like, like I had, I had a great, I had a great morning with my wife and, uh, we social distanced, but we, we ended up in your wife. No, no, no. Oh. Right. The <laughs> part like, that follows. I would tell you, we are we not, ended up with we are not spinning, social uh, distancing. <laughs> we had lunch with her family and everybody was like at their own table basically. And it was, it was fine, you know? Um, but we got to like see some family and then um, FaceTime with my parents and my family back in California. And like we, we had a great night together. Like, so it's not that my day was bad like and and there were still elements of it like i had said watching that watching rob bell on his uh his instagram live like that i watched as the numbers grew you know to like i don't know over 3000 people watching all at once and i was like this is so cool i feel like i feel like because you know and and this is coming right out of the experience of watching these sermons and being like oh man i feel like i don't belong for some reason and then all of a sudden i had 3000 people that i belonged with mm-hmm. and um, and the reason why we were all entering in to that 30 minute sermon that he gave was because we all believe that there's something compelling about this Jesus character. And, uh, t- and that day in particular marks something within the Christian faith that has meant something for two millennia and always will mean something. So there was this identif- identity marker there. Like I felt like I belonged to something. It was a good day. I, I was celebrating, um, resurrection Sunday. And yet I also was disturbed and disoriented and left wondering like, how do I, how do I move forward? How do I continue to, uh, reconstruct as I deconstruct at the same time? Um, where, where does, you know, for, for 20, whatever years it was penal substitutionary atonement theory that made sense but that's all that I was ever given. And then all of a sudden I start to learn about other ways of understanding the whole crucifixion and resurrection story. And that feels incredibly disorienting when the day comes that you're supposed to be celebrating this thing that for over two decades of your life, you've understood to mean one thing. And now all of a sudden it starts to mean something different. 
Like, yeah, it was a good day, but it was, there was, there was both joy and there was a sense of lamenting, lamenting that things have changed and acknowledging it would be so easy. It would be so much easier just to go back to the way things were before, but that would be such a dishonest experience and sitting in the tension of not necessarily knowing how to balance the two. Yeah. Yeah, I think as a church worker, man, Easter is like my least favorite holiday. And and I would, I can honestly say it's probably my wife's least, least favorite holiday. Yeah. And I mean, after this year, man, I'm like, dude, this was nice. Like I got to, <laughs> I got to like wake up next to my wife. Like we both got to wake up together. Yeah. We got to make a nice breakfast. I got to spend time with my wife and son as a family um, you know, it was like, it felt like vacation today, mm. you know, or I mean on Easter, on Sunday. you know, yeah. and yeah, I felt like for the first time in 30, well, probably not 30 years, but in 11 years, Easter felt like maybe what it was supposed to, which mm. was abundance and joy and life and it was good Hmm. and i would not be surprised if there's a lot of other church workers who resonate with that i wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of other church attenders who resonate with that Mm -hmm. i mean i wouldn't be surprised my guess would be that for both you and i that what we're describing as our experience of easter most likely that hits home with a lot of people who might be listening right now yeah. The disorientation of what does this all mean? And also the, the joy of like, I didn't have to work on this holiday. I just got to be present to my family. I got to, yeah, be present to what the day is supposed to hold for me. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I don't know that I have much more to say. Me either. Other than... I think we all should be embracing the the good and the and the bad together and hopefully we yeah, I don't know. I, I hopefully we learn from from this year's Easter. Um yeah, maybe we don't need to hype it up so much. And maybe we can also be a little less hostile towards yeah. one another. And, and create a little bit more room for the differences that are expressed throughout the church. Well, if you're listening, we want to say thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving your time to us. Uh, we, we hope that you were either challenged or, um, or, or felt connected with this conversation. We hope that you felt like you belonged um, and and we hope that you feel safe in this space. We hope that you are experiencing a, a breath of fresh air. And um, wherever you are, wherever you've come from, and wherever you are going, uh, we hope that you are blessed in all of your endeavors. Keep doubting, keep questioning, keep seeking, keep wondering, and keep wandering. Blessings to you this day. <laughs>